Dr. Amy. Yes, Amy Philbert. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you. Question. Okay. Back in the 1980s, mm-hmm. who was your biggest movie star crush? Oh, hmm? While you're thinking about it, while you're thinking about it, I'm going to tell you some of mine, okay? Okay. M- Michelle Pfeiffer was a big deal. I really liked Mia Sarah, who uh, played Sloane in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Phoebe Cates. I guess I had a thing for brunettes. Uh, I had the hots for Gina Davis, even though she was quite a bit older than me. But number one on this list, and this is more like late 80s, but she was active in the 80s, Winona Ryder. I was in love, and I still don't tell my wife, but till, still to this day, I am a little bit in love with Winona Ryder. Well, she was in Stranger Things, and she's really good. She's really, really yes. great. Yes, um, really great. I'm going to say, I mean, obviously a classic American band could make us known, given um, a whole multitude of reasons, but I oh. think everyone knows Winona Ryder, Tom Cruise, of course. Yes, Richard Certified Davis. Weirdo. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing shirtless volleyball with all of his friends. Yep. Right. Right. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And he was in Heather's with Winona Ryder. <laughs> Yes, I love that movie. That movie was set in uh, Arizona, by I mean, the way. Yes. Oh my God, we just got ten percent cooler. I'm Aaron Selbig. And I'm Dr. Amy Duckworth. And we are the Latchkey Kids, everybody. <laughs> I've infected you with my everybody. <laughs> oh, you've got. I'm also yeah. find myself saying wow, wow, wow in regular conversation now. <laughs> oh Dr. God. Amy. Evil plan is finally come together. Oh, yes. boy. I just have something to say, but as okay. we before we start before okay. we start this episode, which is part two, by the way, part two, of 1980s movie adaptations of Stephen King stories, mm. and boy, this first one, mm. I mean, well, all I have to say about it is this: okay. when the night mm. has come and the moon is full and the stars, is that right, or is it the moon? Is the only <laughs> Light you'll see. No, I won't be afraid just as long as you stand, stand by me. So, darling, darling, stand. Okay. Oh, boy. All right. Benny King. Yeah, Benny King. 
Stand By Me. If you don't know, Stand By Me is a 1986 American coming-of-age story directed by Rob Reiner, Meathead, from All in the Family. <laughs> I love I love saying that even though Rob Reiner is a very successful director, he, he is Meathead from All in the Family. <laughs> it's based on a Stephen King a short story, or a novella, I guess, that was written in 1982 called The Body. That was the original title. And it was, it was the title of the movie came from the song that Amy sang well just now uh, by Benny King. And it's it's not it's not a typical Stephen King horror nope. story, although there is a body in it, I guess. But that's not really what it's about. It's about these uh, teenage boys or are, are, are they preteens? They're like 12 or 13. Right. Something like that. And it's about them and their it's a coming of age story. Exactly. So and it's set in uh, the late 50s, 1959. Uh, One of them learns that a stranger has been accidentally killed near their homes. They live out in the country Mm -hmm. and they decide to go on a walk to go try to find the body. And so these four boys are. Of course. So the the four boys are Gordy Lachance, played by Will Wheaton. Mm. Vern Tessio, played by Jerry O'Connell. Chris Chambers, played by R.I.P., the late, great River Phoenix, who is like, this is my favorite River Phoenix movie. Um, Mm. Just he's he. I mean, they're all good, but River Phoenix just lights up this entire movie. And Teddy, Teddy Duchamp, played by one of the Corys. Which one? Corey Feldman in this case. So they go on. They basically go on an adventure. They meet a mean junkyard dog. They get leeches on their body when they go swimming. They they tell stories about a disgusting pie eating contest that goes wrong. And they but there's also a serious part about their home lives. And at least, you know, a couple of them have very difficult home lives. And anyway, they go on this and this grand adventure that becomes like kind of a defining moment in in all of their lives you know it's very on brand i will say dr amy that we are that we both love 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 this movie because it's all about nostalgia of our youth right Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's 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 kind it's what it's our sweet spot yeah that's right yeah yeah richard dreyfus is is the adult version of gordy who's he's a writer he grows up to be a writer um, and he tells this reminiscing story. It's also a great example of Stephen King's non-horror writing, and there are many examples of that. He He's done lots of fantasy, like the Dark Tower series and the Eyes of the Dragon, the Shawshank Redemption, and my personal favorite, this movie doesn't get, it's not a movie, it's a, uh, they made it into a TV miniseries, 112263. It's a clunky title, but read that book. It's about time travel, and it it sounds stupid, but it's really good, I swear. It's about a guy that discovers a time portal, and he decides to go back to the early 60s and try to stop the Kennedy assassination. So he goes to Dallas, Texas, and he, like, stalks Lee Harvey Oswald. It's amazing. It's really good. They made a miniseries about it with James Franco, and it's not bad anyway. Anyway, I remember reading The Body as part of a compilation of short stories called Different Seasons. 
Um, and it, it wasn't my favorite. I'll be honest. It wasn't my favorite story in that collection. That that collection also had the Shawshank Redemption in it. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. It also had Apt Pupil, which actually was my favorite story in that book. But the movie real is terrific and it's it's like a rare example of the movie's better than the book honestly it's it brought that story to life better than the great Stephen King even did in his own words in my opinion I mean to this day Dr. Amy whenever I find myself in the country and I live in the country and whenever I find myself walking along railroad tracks I always think of Stand By Me (laughs) you know yeah I mean, yeah. really, the cast, the casting of the four boys, I mean, yeah. those it's amazing. men, all of them were incredible. And so, yes. without that, I just don't even know. It took a whole and day. incredible together, complementing yeah. each other so very well. Totally, yeah. totally. And fun fact, uh, Will Wheaton, uh, who plays, you know, the, the main character, right? Who mm-hmm. plays uh, Gordy. Um, his, his, the spelling of his name, Will, is with one L, W-I-L. I named our son, Will, with one L. It's not William, it's just Will. And uh-huh. not after Will Wheaton, but I was aware of Will Wheaton's spelling of his name. Like, that's a legit spelling of the name Will. And, yeah. you know, many people do not think so, but I point to Will Wheaton as my evidence, okay? Well, thank you, Will Wheaton, for legitimizing. Thank you, Will Wheaton's parents. The name of the great, the great Will Bessler. Amy, do you have any fun facts Ah, about Stand By Me? Of course I do. So these come to us, of course, from Michael Floss. And so, um, so, so the movie almost got just completely shut down. Um, So Coca-Cola was the company that that bought Embassy Pictures. And that was the original. Oh, wow. I remember Embassy Uh, Pictures. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Literally two days before they were supposed to start shooting, um, Coca-Cola announced that they weren't going to fund Stand By Me. They're like, nope, we're not doing it. So, Aaron, did you know television television legend Norman Lear believed? Norman Lear? Yep. Norman Lear, of all in the family, by the way. And Sanford and Son and Good Times and the Jeffersons and all that sort of stuff. Exactly right. Uh huh. What? Oh my God! Oh, I bet he came out on top on that. He probably made money. I hope. Yeah, it was a huge hit, as I remember. I believe it was a big hit when it came out. Yeah. So I talked about Richard Dreyfuss, who plays the adult version of of Gordon, yeah. and the writer who's you know telling the story of this like you know seminal moment of of his youth, you know, with his mm-hmm. buddies back in the day, and so he was actually the the at least the third choice uh, to play this character. Um, hmm. They had David Dukes in the role. He, you know, eventually they decided he didn't have the right voice because the voice, you know, of that narrator was going to be a big part of it. Michael McKean gave it a shot, but Dreyfus came in and just nailed it. And so, interestingly, Rob Reiner and Richard Dreyfus had known each other since they were 15, and so they had a, they had quite a long hmm. history together. And so that was kind of a fun thing. So Reiner is trying to figure out a way to get these young actors to really yeah. gel and and come together, you know, playing these these best friends, right? So at the time, uh-huh. Will Wheaton was twelve, River Phoenix was fourteen, Feldman wow. was fourteen, 
Wow, they were really young. 11 years old. Oh my God, they are so young. They're so young, and so what wow. he did was he had them come to this uh, hotel suite in Oregon in June of '85, and he had them play these like improv games and do all this. Oh. Stuff. Yeah. theater games and stuff to develop trust with one another and so they do the thing like where you mirror each other when you talk like each other and yep. they had him he had him doing like the blindfolded like trust walk through the lobby of the hotel and okay you know, just to get him to bond and all of that so um all right well it worked i guess so i mentioned <laughs> it worked it totally worked uh-huh. i mentioned river phoenix being 14 at the time so mm, uh-huh. i know River Phoenix lost his virginity during the film. uh, (laughs) At 14? Wow. Okay. Jeez. So Reiner tells the story of, like, the day that Phoenix came onto set with this big smile on his face after (laughs) the night with a family friend. And Uh so, you know, they're, like, just becoming teenagers. So Feldman, who we know, like, got pretty wild in his youth as well, Still is. He still uh-huh. is during the time of this. He drank alcohol. He kissed a girl off screen. He smoked pot for the first time. Like that summer of '85, wow. like it was. He went crazy. It was the time for these young men. Sure, that makes it makes sense. Well, plus they're like you know they're movie stars, mm-hmm. so sure, yes. Yeah, why not, people? Okay. So, <laughs> why not, so, indeed. So you mentioned walking along train tracks, and of course you think of Stand By Me. So there's that iconic scene yeah. where they're they're going across the bridge, and the train is coming, and they have to run. Yeah, there's a train coming. They're in the middle of a this huge, huge. suspension bridge, yeah. and here comes the train, and they have to run yep. to just barely make yeah. it at the end of the bridge. Yeah. 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 But yeah. the actors, so it was Will Wheaton and Jerry O'Connell who were the last two still on the head to run. Remember the other two were like, Whoa, run, run, come on, run. Uh-huh. Um, they weren't they didn't look scared enough. They're film they're, you know, filming the scene and they didn't look terrified enough. And so Rob Reiner had to start like yelling at them and screaming at them that they were Hepping this whole thing up, and like he just totally went off on them, and then they oh my there. god, sounds like Stanley there. Kubrick in The Shining, yeah, right? Kubrick <laughs> um, if you get, you get your actors to do what you want by threatening them and yelling at them, apparently, right, that's right. I wouldn't think Meathead would do that, but mm-hmm. apparently right. he had to, yeah, yes, exactly. and okay. So you mentioned River Phoenix's performance, and I agree, I think he steals, steals the show, uh, he does. Incredible he's just course, magnetic. He's, he's playing, you know, the character who has, like, the, you know, the abusive mm-hmm. life and all this trauma and all this stuff. And so Reiner had to get him to tap into those emotions. And so he asked uh-huh. Phoenix to think of a time when an adult had let him down. And so he gets himself into that place. And then after the scene is done and everything, like, he could not stop crying. He was just an absolute, like, mess. Aww. Opened up all these He's a 14-year-old kid. Jeez. And so wow. kind of similarly to when we did our episode about Willy Wonka and, and they, we talked about how they would – you know, they would film the scene where the kids were, the child actors were seeing something for the first time, like to get their genuine Yes. They right, did, right, right. They did that in this movie, too, with the body, right? So mm. they, they didn't see the, the dead body. 
um, until they were actually filming it and I mean that's okay so they would be properly properly shocked and get yeah. real reactions yeah, okay exactly. makes sense and speaking of mm-hmm. being shocked and scared <laughs> Jerry O'Connell later talked about how legitimately frightened he was of Cuba's government oh yeah he was the mean bully guy yeah, yeah. He played That's right. I mean, Kiefer Sutherland can play a scary, mean. Oh, he he has that. He has that thing going on. I I'm yeah. Really on that. I love it. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. He's one of my favorites. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, he, O'Connell was 11, right? And he you know hadn't done much acting or whatever, and so he was genuinely scared. You know. <laughs> wow. And so Kiefer Sutherland would go around the set. Like in character, I guess, and he was doing all this kind oh. of stuff. He and John Cusack, who played the you know the older brother character, um, like rolled a car off of a sand bank. They were doing all this crazy stuff. What? Yeah, they were just like, like off like, camera. Yeah, they just caught the <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Huh. And speaking huh. of chaos, so O'Connell. Um, the, he, Sutherland talked about this in a couple of different uh, late night talk show appearances that um, O'Connell got so high during the filming <laughs> of this movie one time that they had Wait, to what? shut down production for at least a day. So he claims that he is 11 years old. <laughs> My goodness. Seriously? Sutherland claimed that O'Connell managed to tie his babysitter to a banister and escape to a Renaissance fair. <laughs> and he, he had some cookies, but they had pot in them. I don't know if he knew that or not. Oh, maybe he didn't know. Yeah, maybe he didn't know. Okay. Allegedly, he was found two hours later, as often happens in this situation, crying in a parking lot. <laughs> wait, he got, okay, wait, back up. I, this is a fun fact that I just, I have to, un, we got to, uh, I have questions. <laughs> so he... So first of all, are there no parents or guardians or supervisors or chaperones of any kind on the set of this movie? Kiefer Sutherland's pushing cars off a cliff, and Jerry O'Connell, who's 11 years old, is sneaking off to a Renaissance fair and getting pot cookies uh, while they're shooting this movie. You're telling me all of that stuff happened. Okay. They probably should have had a nanny or something. Good Lord. Yeah, he hated The Shining because he's. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Okay. This is the one movie he was right about. Okay. Wow. He said oh. it was the first time one of his stories was successfully put on film. Okay, whatever. Well, you know why? Because because he's like because you know he was he's a he's a boomer. So that late fifties he would be about that age, right? Mm-hmm. So that really it's like us doing a podcast about growing up in the 1980s. <laughs> Steve Stephen King. Would have a similar reaction to a movie set in 1959. Yeah. Okay. We mentioned River Phoenix and like really tapping into his emotions and the effect that that had on him. 
Uh, mm-hmm. he, he later said that he was a complete wreck by the end of filming. So he, really? he identified so much with his character, Chris Chambers. Yeah. It's concerning. Um, yeah. He said if he did not have his family to go home to after that bad experience, he said he would have needed psychiatric care. Like, he was a wreck. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, hmm. Of course, this is all set in this fictional town of Castle Rock, right? That's where this all right. takes place. So that is mm-hmm. actually Brownsville, Oregon. And so oh, okay. It's just kind of around Eugene, Franklin, Cottage Grove, uh, the, this part of Oregon. Um, and so the only part of the movie that was uh, set in California were, was that scene where the boys outrun the train. And so okay. to this day, Aaron, and we can add this to our tour, when you go okay. to Brownsville, Oregon... Uh, we're going to have to hit, well, while we're in Oregon, because we're going to have to go to the Overlook Hotel, whatever it was called, the Lodge, for the, the Timber, right. what is it called? The, from, the from the Shining, Shining. Timberline Lodge, yes, which was the stand-in for the Overlook Hotel yes, in The Shining, right. so, which is also in Oregon, right? That's right, so we'll go there. Okay, all right. We'll go to the right. Visitor Center, where there's a huh. map to this very day that displays all of the movie's locations in five different languages. <laughs> And what are the five languages? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, you may be aware, Castle Rock may sound familiar to you, Aaron, because yeah. Reiner then named his production company Castle Rock Entertainment. Oh. Okay. Stand by me, everyone. Okay. Wow. Stand by me. That's a, it's a, it's a top five uh. Stephen King adaptation movie even though like i said at the beginning like i read the body and it was okay you know it was pretty good but the movie is actually better than the source material which is rare and it sounds like stephen king maybe would agree with that assessment it sounds like he really liked this movie too uh so that is really great i love that movie now the next one uh was a bit of a disappointment to me dr amy i have to say but I been the but the reason why is because this growing up in the 80s I was a ravenous reader of Stephen King yeah. and my favorite 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 Stephen King story at that time was Pet Cemetery. Uh, and the movie came out in 1989 and I don't know I'm I'm not saying it's bad it's not bad it's just I it's because and you've probably had this experience too, where you've you've seen a movie adaptation of a book that you love, oh, and if yeah. you really love the book that much, you're probably going to be disappointed. Yes. You know what I mean? Almost always, yes. That's so that that's what happened to me. But if you don't know, Pet Cemetery, and by the way, spoilers right now. So if you haven't seen yeah. Pet Cemetery, go to your nearest blockbuster. Pick out the VHS tape, take it home, pop it in the VHS player, and uh, watch it. I guess it's worth watching. It's scary. I'll tell you that much. So it's about this this guy, Lewis Creed. He's a doctor, and he moves his family to Maine, of course, where they meet the neighbor, the guy that lives across the street, uh, named Judd, who is played by Fred Gwynn, who was Herman Munster in The Munsters and was the judge in My Cousin Vinny. Fred Gwynn, he's great. When you need a tall, kind of creepy-looking old guy, yes, yes, Fred Gwynn is your man. 
So uh, they moved to this place out in the country, and their new house is right on this very busy road that has a lot of trucks. And he's worried about it, and sure enough, like right away, their cat is hit by a car and is killed. And so Judd advises Lewis to bury it in this old pet cemetery that's out in the woods, and it's like the secret. It's it's like a, in the in the in the book. It's like an old uh, Native American yes. thing that has special yes. supernatural yes. powers. Yes. So they do that, and then the next day, the cat is resurrected from the dead, returns to life. But the cat, Dr. Amy, is not exactly the same. It's not very friendly anymore. It smells like death. It smells bad. And anyway, so this movie gets rather dark uh, right away because shortly after that happens, the son, Gage, who's like two or three years old, I think, is also hit by a car and dies. And you can probably see what happens here. Lewis decides to bury his son. He actually exhumes the body, like after the funeral, takes it out to the pet cemetery, and the kid comes back. And the kid comes back, and this is when, in the in the book, it's different. And this is what disappointed me about it. In the book, there's more, there's a lot more emotion, and it's about feelings of guilt that Lewis experiences, and you know, it's it's. Yes, loss and grief and guilt. When, once Gage comes back from the pet cemetery, the movie just turns into just a pure zombie slasher movie. You know, it's like yes, it's like cartoonish. Yeah, murderous little kid. He gets a knife and he kills the he kills Judd, the old guy, and yeah, so it's it turns bad and. Uh, they, he kills the mother and then at the end of the movie, the dad, Lewis buries the mother in the pet cemetery because he figures maybe it'll work this time. And she comes back and in the book, it's like ambiguous as to what happens when the wife comes back from the pet cemetery. Mm -hmm. She like puts her hand on his shoulder and like her hand is really cold. And she says like, I don't know, hello, my darling or something like that. In the book, she just she is also a murderous zombie and just kills him. So, so the movie kind of goes off the rails a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So this was in 
Yeah. That's that's good though. Yeah. That's probably yeah. yeah. I mean, that's I definitely this would have been the time frame where I was for sure drinking my my soda out of a red wine straw, right? Oh yes, yeah, that was sure. Sure, happening at the same time. Did you did you see it in the theater? You did. I don't I don't remember if I did or not. I don't think I did actually. I think I saw it on like on VHS tape, like later at some point. I'm pretty sure I did. My and I was, you know, I was. My, my hmm. husband has a similar memory of the, he he recalls being the only person in the theater Yeah, yeah. No, it was. I was disappointed in the movie, like I said, but but there's a reason why, and we'll we'll get into this in a little later on in the fun facts. But a, Dr. Amy okay. hit us with some fun facts about Pet Cemetery, would you? Mm-hmm. For you. This film, this book, I should say, was totally inspired by events from Stephen King's life. Okay, so let me tell you about it. In the late 70s, King was invited to be a writer in residence and professor at his alma mater, the University of Maine. And so mm-hmm. to facilitate that, he and his family moved into this home in Orrington, Maine. And that was all fine. It was this rural house. But the one thing that was kind of weird about it, it it was on this crazy, busy road where these big trucks would just fly right past the house. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh Yes. Uh Mm -hmm. It's coming together. It's Mm -hmm. all coming together, people. So, um, like the road in Pet Cemetery, it had all these fast, heavy trucks, and it frequently did claim the lives of local pets. And mm-hmm. so, as a result, there actually was a pet cemetery established oh, in the woods nearby <laughs> by local children, Aaron. That is and all that Stephen King needs. Yeah. Boom, story yeah. idea. Boom. That must he must have really thought yeah. this is gold right this here, you know? Absolute gold. And wow, so wow, wow, wow. No way. I wonder if it's still there. I bet people I bet people have tried to find it. Yeah. You're kidding me. Did the cat come back to life? I'm not totally sure about that part. He never never said, huh? Okay. While this this book, this story was just laid out for him like he didn't have to work for this one at all. It was right there that I mean, even like you or I probably would have had this story idea in a similar circumstance. Oh, my God, that is crazy.
would write a draft and throw it away or put it away, and like sometimes his wife would find something and be like, what, what, why did you throw this away? Or why haven't you done anything with this? This is really good. Mm-hmm. So, Pet Cemetery is a, is a really classic example of that. So, obviously, it's a story about a family who loses a child and then yeah. and the pain. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that for me is missing from the movie. Right. It's it's there in the book and it's and it and it really later when the movie when the story turns it that's what makes it have more impact and it's just for me it's kind of missing yeah. in the movie yeah wow you know just real real quick Amy while it's on my mind I telling the story of the actual now that I know that the pet cemetery is a real place in Orrington Maine I, I this might sound a little gruesome but. Do you happen to know where Mikey, our beloved miniature schnauzer, is buried? Because we could. I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's a good idea. And I know it's been many years. But we could. You know where I'm going with this. Have you ever been to Maine before? I mean, we could. We could try. We could try in real life. Yeah. Try to reanimate his corpse, oh, right? What an idea. Yeah, no, yes. So we'll go to Big Surf and we'll have a concert. <laughs> and then we'll go to Oregon and walk yeah. along the train tracks. Yeah. And then we're going to go to Maine and try to resurrect our dog. Does that sound like a plan to you? Yes. So, <laughs> but yeah, try to get back on track yeah, after that. No Good luck. No, it's not, it's not happening. Oh my gosh, I quit. I'm done. I couldn't okay. podcast anymore. All right. I'm retiring. This is my retirement announcement. I will be like Tom Brady. I'll come back, but I'm retiring. Right, sure. <laughs> come back in five minutes. <laughs> okay, so anyway. The story is really, it's, it's about this grief and this, you know, madness yeah. that would drive a parent to do, like, the unthinkable, okay? So you're sure. That. And yeah. so because of that, King was super reluctant to even show it to anyone. <laughs> Normally, you would always have his wife read his stuff. And yeah. So She's an author in her own right, yes. by the way. Yes. Tabitha King. And so is his son is, a, is, a, is an author as well. It's yeah. a whole family of brilliant writers. So yes. You know, threw that in a drawer, and it was there for quite a while. And then he actually got kind of desperate for money. <laughs> oh, yeah? At one point, so he dusted it off. But anyway, um, oh. decades after its publication, King still considers Pet Cemetery to be his most frightening book. And, and the one yeah. where he feels like he finally went too far. It is a bit over the top at the ending. It is. <laughs> it is. I mean, this is a story which everybody dies. Everybody in the in the book anyway in the movie, uh, well actually yeah in the movie everybody dies everybody uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. exactly and so <laughs> there, there's a fun thing that happens with uh, King's novels and so there's this whole kind of universe where other stories and characters and locations from other books and uh-huh. stories kind of find their way in and so there's a really fun example of that in uh, Pet Cemetery. So early on in the novel, um, while talking about the dangers of the road and the animal uh, that is killed, Judge Randall, the neighbor, refers to a St. Bernard who, quote, went rabid down state a couple years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. So there's 
Yes. Okay. I know you love an Easter egg. I love a good Easter egg. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, that house, iconic, right, um, recently went up for sale. So, really? Yeah. Okay. It has been. A lot of, you know, fans of Stephen King have sort of made a pilgrimage to Maine in search of these different landmarks, including the Pet Cemetery house. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it, it hit down the market. We could have bought that house. How much? How much does it cost? Um, and so... The, the in 2017, the Orrington House, uh, where he and his family actually lived by the uh-huh. cemetery, um, what hit the market for $355,000. Oh, affordable! Affordable, yeah, okay, sure, <laughs> okay, so, can handle that. Yeah, he actually King actually did write the screenplay for Pet Cemetery, he chose the director, yes, yeah, yeah, heavily involved in the filmmaking. Which, yeah. You know, yeah. And in, in my in my opinion, that's that's what ruined it. And this was I don't know if this was the only I'm going to handle these last couple of fun facts. Is that yeah, OK, Dr. Yes, Amy? Because yes. I did I did a little research on this as well. And I found out that for the movie and it makes sense now. This is a movie. I, it may be the only one. I'm not sure. But Stephen King was heavily involved with it. He wrote the screenplay. He mm-hmm. chose the director, Mary Lambert. He was heavily involved in the filming, and in my opinion, he kind of ruined it. He turned it into a slasher, schlocky zombie movie, and it didn't have any of the tension and emotion of the original book. Another uh, fun fact about this film, if you're a fan of punk rock, it has two songs, one of them an original song by the Ramones. Sheena is a punk rock. Sheena is a punk rocker. Sheena is a punk. That's in the in a scene in the movie, and the Ramones actually wrote a song called "Pet Cemetery," uh, that plays over the credits at the end. And that song, much to the chagrin of Ramones fans, who by the time this movie came out were pretty much already kind of past their prime, it became one of their biggest hits. <laughs> A song that I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even tell you how it goes. I could sing word for word probably 30 Ramon songs, and Pet Cemetery would not be one of them. And Dr. Amy, did you know there are actually two film adaptations of Pet Cemetery? The one that we're talking about today came out in 1989. There was another one just three years ago in 2019. Oh, my God. It got similar crappy reviews as the first one. I have not seen it. Did you see it? No. There's a remake. No. Yeah. No, I'm not interested. No, thank you. And then also, if you're not interested in that, you're definitely not going to be interested in this. In 1992, there was a sequel to Pet Cemetery. Oh, my God. Pet Cemetery 2 was released in 1992. I also never saw that. But you know what? That sounds like it's so bad that I don't know, I kind of want to see it. Yeah, I kind of want to I kind of want to see it just to hate watch it, you know what I mean? To see how bad it is. Yes. So there we have it. Pet Cemetery, everybody. Pet Cemetery. I I don't like that movie. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Should do we have some honorable honorable mentions from the eighties? From the eighties, of course, everyone's Christine. Everyone's 
the car. car. Murderous car. Which sounds kind of silly, because it is. Yeah, creep show. Yeah, creep show. He it was like a compilation film. It's really good, actually. Oh, he okay. Stephen King didn't didn't write. I, I think he wrote two of the like they're like vignettes, like scary vignettes. Uh-huh. And he wrote, I believe, two of them. But it's creep show is really good though. Okay. Yeah. Drew Barrymore. Yep. Oh, yep. Yep. And then oh, this everybody. this movie seems to have been forgotten in the sands of time. But do you remember the Dead Zone? About it was, it was a young Christopher Walken starred in this movie. It was directed by David Cronenberg, who, if you want somebody to direct a Stephen King story, if you can't get Stanley Kubrick and you can't because he's dead, maybe true. David Cronenberg is about as good as you can get. But it's about a guy that comes out of a coma, a long years long coma, and he has special powers. It's a lot of fun. Children of the Corn, Doctor yeah, Amy. Okay, that movie is so bad. That movie really is so bad that it's funny. That it's so yes. yeah, it's so bad it's good. Yep. Okay. And then the Running Man. Yeah. Remember the Running Man, futuristic yeah. game show sci-fi. Oh. With uh, Richard Dawson was in the movie. Do you remember? Oh yeah. Oh That's a good one. It's a good one. So, I mean, obviously, we're doing this big tribute to Stephen King. I'm talking about the yes. of the 80s. But, I mean, we would be remiss. One of the first ones that came to mind was Carrie. But I'm like, well, Carrie came yeah. in the 70s. In the 70s. Though. Yeah. So Not in the 80s. Let's talk about some that we just love. Even oh, so many. Okay. So many. So these are the non-80s Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. Oh, God. There's so many. Carrie, obviously. Sure. Classic, like, high school, Mm -hmm. like, don't, you know, bully people because guess what, you know. Starring Sissy Spacek, who is great in it. Incredible. And there's a remake of that, too. Did you know that? Like a fairly recent remake of Carrie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Misery. Yeah. Oh, yep. She won an Oscar for that movie. She, she did. She was incredible. She She was one of the scariest. That's one of the scariest movie characters of all time totally is Kathy agree. Bates in oh, Misery. And there's so a scene there's a scene in that movie that if you have seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about that will oh, stick with you oh. for the rest of your life. You never forget it. You can, because you're imagine. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Okay. Amy, Doctor Amy, how about this? This one might be second on the list to The Shining. The Shawshank Redemption. I mean, Aaron, with Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. One of the best movies of all time. Yes. It is. Stephen King or not, I'm just saying. Yes. Overall. Like, it's way, way, way up there on my personal list. Came out in 1994. Um, yeah, even though the book was written, it was one of the Richard Bachman books written in the 80s. So it actually was written in the 80s. It took a long time for it to be made into a film. Amy, I will give you $4 if you can tell me, without looking it up on the Internet, what the original name of the story was 
that was turned into the Shawshank Redemption. I'll give you a hint. It's it's similar to uh, Shawshank uh, Prison. It's a, not a great place to be. That was the working title, but <laughs> it actually the title of the story was called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Do you get the, do you get the Rita Hayworth? The poster. The poster. That's right. The poster. The hole in the wall that he was digging to escape from Shawshank Prison. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You have Dolores Claiborne, of course. Yep, that was a good one. You mentioned Apt People, which I do. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a little obscure. That was also, let's see. Yeah, that was one of the. Was that one of the Bachman? No, 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 no. I let me back up a little bit. Shawshank Redemption and Apt Pupil were not the Bachman books. They were in that. Uh, I think we referenced this yes. in the previous yes. episode. Yes. A compilation yes. called yes. Different Seasons. Yep. 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 And yes. Apt Pupil is about a teenage boy who becomes friends with this old man that he slowly realizes is an escaped Nazi war criminal. And the movie version stars Ian McKellen as the Nazi Ooh. war criminal. Ian, it is pretty good, yeah. Okay, I mean, obviously yeah. another all-time. Yeah, movie. top five. This one's top five. The Green yep. Mile, everyone. The Green Mile. 1999, I mean. Stephen King and Prisons equals uh, gold, uh, right? I, that is a license to print money right there. He's That's good at prisons, <laughs> yes. How yeah. about The Mist, Dr. Amy? Did you ever see The Mist? I don't think I saw The Mist. Tell me it has... The Mist is is an otherwise rather unremarkable movie, except for the ending is wild. It has a crazy. It, it's worth seeing just for the crazy twist ending. I'm not going to spoil it. It came out in 2007. You got to watch it. It's one of those like, it's one of those like moral questions, I guess, or maybe not moral. Yeah, it's like one of those like what would you do scenarios. Yes, a thought experiment. Yeah. Anyway, also in 2007, yeah. 1408, starring your boyfriend John Cusack. Oh, okay. 1408, I'm interested. All right. 1408 is very scary. It John Cusack is a writer who is doing stories about haunted hotel rooms. And he goes to this hotel. I believe it's in Chicago. I'm not sure. I don't remember. And this room is supposedly haunted. And he goes there to spend a night. His, his thing is he spends a night in each of these supposedly haunted hotel rooms. And then he writes a story about it, like for a magazine. Well, it turns out 1408 actually is haunted. And he has a bad time. And also Samuel L. Jackson is in it, too. Yeah. Yes, haunted hotels and prisons. Okay. Yes. You mentioned earlier the 112263, the Kennedy yes. assassination, yeah. the James Franco yeah. miniseries. It's really good. It sounds stupid. The premise of it sounds really stupid, but believe me, it works. It's about a guy who discovers a time portal in a diner in Maine, of course, of course. where if you walk through this time portal, it's all of a sudden this exact time and date in like 1960 or maybe it's 1961. I don't remember. And if you walk back through the time portal, you're back in modern times and you can go back and forth, back and forth. And he discovers that and he's like, what the hell? 
And so what he decides after some experimenting is he's going to go through the portal. He's going to go to de- he's going to go down to Texas okay. and he's going to find Lee Harvey Oswald and he's going to attempt to stop the Kennedy assassination. Mm. They made it into a mini series in 2016. Yeah. I don't remember what I don't remember. I don't think it was HBO. I don't remember who did it exactly, but it stars James Franco. It's good. I wouldn't say it's amazing, but it's it's yeah. worth seeing. Yes. And then of course big hit in recent years, the yeah. of course it. It. Yeah, it and and it and it chapter it too as well. Yeah. yeah. Those were very well done. There was an original It made back in the day that was, I don't know, not honestly not as good as the one made in a few years ago, which is which has quickly turned into kind of a horror classic. There you go. From the mind of Stephen King to the big screen. Yes. Yes. So if you don't follow Stephen King on Twitter, you can do that if you want to know how he feels about modern politics. Um, He has a lot of political opinions. A lot. Okay? Yes. But he is a genius for sure. And thank you, Stephen King, for all of the horrible, wonderful stories. Okay. Whew. Wow. I'm a little Stephen Kinged out now. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. We need a cleanser. We need to do like the Care Bears next week or something like that. My Little Pony. We already did Rainbow Bright, didn't we? We haven't done Rainbow Bright? That's right. Okay, I don't think I'm ready for that either, but we'll come, we'll come up with something for next week. All right. That's enough for today. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.